Guys, welcome to the show. I am really excited because I have my friend Rebecca Poirier here and she is autistic. She is fabulous. She is wonderfully wired and she is one hell of a woman. I'm telling you, she has had some fantastic experiences. She's had some really crap experiences. I think we can all relate to both of those, but we're going to be talking about a couple of different things today. Number one, we're going to be talking about workforce and some of the really horrific things that happen because yeah, we can get our foot in the door, we can get the job and, and that in itself are some serious hurdles and barriers. But once we get there and we start to navigate the workplace, we've been there for a little bit, there's some things that make it really difficult. And that's some of the biggest challenges we face is how do we keep the job that we have? And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes, you know, we get to a point where we're really struggling and we need some help. We need some accommodations, some adjustments made to our work to make it possible to continue so that we're not living on that chronic cycle burnout trap so that we're thriving. So Rebecca and I are going to be talking about all those things today. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream, saying no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Welcome to the show. I am so excited you're here, my friend. Yes, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and happy that um, you asked me to be on the show. And this is great. I love this. Well, this is an exciting thing because Rebecca is also one of our Coaching Cafe Academy members. And we are talking all about communication styles this week. And we have some incredible things that have been coming up and coming out. And so we're going to have just sort of a conversation about all the things that are happening in our life right now because. Guys, that's just sort of where we are in the world. Sometimes, you know, we're seeking information. We're seeking just connection to somebody else that's experiencing the world in a similar way. And hopefully today, Rebecca and I are are connecting with you and maybe sharing a little bit of our lives that may help with yours. So Rebecca, share with us sort of how autism came into your life. How did you learn and discover that you are autistic? Yeah. So I come from a very, you know, family of neurodistinct. I'm going to try to borrow that word from you, (laughs) um, individuals, but I personally was not diagnosed until just a few weeks before my 40th birthday. Um, so (laughs) you've been there too. Um, my, you know, all throughout school and childhood, you know, I had good grades. I worked really hard, um, for my B's and C's and occasional A's. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of floated under, under the radar. Um, I very vaguely remember being evaluated for learning disabilities specific and specifically ADHD dyslexia. I was having trouble with reading, uh, comprehension. Um, later I found out I have a problem with my vision that causes 
that probably caused all of that <laughs> that wasn't tested. But, you know, back in that time period, autism was not commonly diagnosed. You didn't get a diagnosis unless you had like severe communication problems or were nonverbal or needed a lot of support. So, you know, it just wasn't something that came up during my childhood experience. So I always struggled socially. Um, I, I was, didn't always fit in with my peer groups. I didn't enjoy superficial activities or relationships. I had very few close knit sets of friends. Um, so by the time I was in the 10th grade, I was just done with school and done with all of it. Um, and my parents were very gracious and patient with me. So they decided to homeschool me for the rest of my education. I went to community college. Um, I applied to NC State University. I got in because my, again, my grades were good. Um, I worked really hard, worked multiple part-time jobs, but I had absolutely zero self-confidence <laughs> and I had a line of bad relationships, just, uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't figure out how to navigate relationships. Um, had a hard time getting a job because just the interview process was not geared towards me. And I didn't, because I didn't do a lot of the social clubs in college, you know, that stuff wasn't on my resume. So I couldn't even speak to that. Um, so I was very timid, very not confident, um, but I ended up getting an internship with the federal government and moving to Washington, D.C. all by myself, <laughs> which was, I think, extremely, like really the best thing for me in hindsight, um, because it allowed me to kind of explore things on my own and figure some things out. And working in the government, you know, there's a lot of nuances, but you know, I'll be honest with you. If I had gotten a job somewhere else, like in public accounting, I think I would have been fired in my first two years, like <laughs> just because, you know, different social faux pas or different, um, you know, just different ways of thinking. Um, the government was the best place for me at that time. Um, and I did really well in government. I was promoted quickly. I, you know, it's a very diverse workplace. They understand Americans with Disabilities Act and they understand the EEOC, honestly, because they've been sued so many times. <laughs> but, you know, it was part of your normal training regimen. So I had a, a good experience there. Um, but it's also about that time that other members of my family started coming up with this autism diagnosis. And, um, I started, you know, doing all the research, just trying to understand them and what was going on. And as I'm reading through the autism symptoms, <laughs> I'm starting to notice, you know, things in my everyday life where I'm like, well, that's not autism. That's just, that's just normal. You know, that's just part of growing up. Um, and so in the back of my mind, though, I started to wonder, you know, is this, is this something that also relates to me and explains, you know, why I'm the way I am. But at that time, um, I, I wasn't struggling or at least, you know, not at that moment. So it wasn't something I was going to go out and seek. I was just kind of filing that in the back of my brain going, Hmm, that's interesting. Um, so after 13 years in government, my husband and I were ready for a change. We moved away from the DC area. I got a job in the private sector 
Um, again, it took me a very long time to find a job. I struggled with interviews. I struggled with my resume. Um, and then when I did get a job, there was not the same structure. There was not the same support. Um, I only stayed at my first job for just barely a year um, and moved to a different job. I think that was really the start of my major burnout. Um, and that went on for four years um, where I just was struggling, moving from job to job. Um, we also ended up moving to a very small town in Georgia, which is where we live now back in 2019. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was a culture shock. I might've been, I might as well have been dropped on a different planet, you know, just because, you know, I thought I was a Southern girl growing up in North Carolina, but that ain't the same as Georgia, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> there's a different... There's I'm an a, Alabama girl. I know what yeah. you're talking about because I've lived in North Carolina. There is a difference. There is a difference. So I just had a, I, I was just, I, I was just reading, reaching this culmination. And then of course COVID happened and everything shut down. So then things changed again and my social groups were all disheveled. Um, so in the summer of 2020, I was really experiencing both physical and mental signs of burnout. And I, I completely shut down emotionally, physically, mentally. I lost valuable skills. I couldn't multitask anymore. I'd have trouble communicating. Um, you know, this girl who was really good at navigating uh, around the swamp in Washington, D.C. and could, you know, run programs in her sleep suddenly couldn't figure out what 13 steps I need to do to get ready in the morning, you know, like <laughs> I was struggling. Um, I'm going to try to make these notifications go off. So it's not interrupting me. Um, sorry about that. Um, so I was really struggling about that time. And I remembered my earlier thoughts about autism and the research I had done. And I specifically started looking for someone who could evaluate me as a nearly 40 year old woman um, for autism before simply accept, accepting that this was anxiety or some sort of mental health issue. Like I was okay with that being the outcome, but I wanted to seek that evaluation first. Um, now I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Did, was that something you, like you had found like in your research or, you know, being on the online autistic community that, <clears throat> that that could be a challenge that finding a provider who was familiar with adult late identification, or was that just like something in you said, I got to find somebody that knows what they're doing. So, um, it didn't really come up in research, but I tried for about six months. So I went to, there's, to be honest, in my area, there's not a lot of mental health care to begin with. There's just a handful of organizations. Um, I called one and they were like, well, we, several of them told me flat out, we don't evaluate adults, um, period. Um, we only evaluate children. So I finally found, um, I think it was the Autism Hope Center near me. And I talked to this wonderful lady and now I can't even remember her name, <laughs> but she actually called around and found me somebody who would evaluate me as an adult. Um, none of it was covered by insurance. So this was, you know, three, $4,000 later. <laughs> um, I had to drive two hours out of town because um, 
you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm apparently lucky that it was only two hours. Like I know some people who've had to le- leave their states to find um, somebody who, who would even talk to them about autism. Um, but I did find somebody, did find a specialist and I was officially diagnosed in the fall of 2020. So in October, um, and, and it did not take long because like in the very first session, um, after just talking to me for an hour, she gave me her professional opinion and said, I think, you know, it's worth exploring the autism diagnosis because, you know, you're exhibiting a lot of the, the signs that, that would, you know, point me in that direction. Um, and were at, oh, yeah. at that time, were you aware that you were in autistic burnout or you just knew there was something serious happening? I just knew there was something seriously wrong. And I knew this wasn't normal. And this was not a normal level of burnout. This was not just, you know, a career burnout or like something that I could just change a few things and get out of. I was having physical issues. Like I, I wasn't sleeping. I was bumping into walls. I was dropping things. My eye, you know, my hand-eye coordination was off. Um, you know, like I said, I was having trouble. Like, and when I say I couldn't multitask, I mean I couldn't do, I couldn't fold the laundry and talk on the phone at the same time. Like, not complicated tasks, like <laughs> stuff I had done all my life. Um, so, you know, and everything had to be written down. You know, I used to be able to memorize my calendar and not even have to look it up. Like. I could just see it in my head and now every, and, and I still, I still struggle. Like I, I haven't gotten some of these skills back and this was two years ago. Um, okay. So, so everything let's, has let's to talk be about that down. for just a sec. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a big, really big component and part mm-hmm. that a lot of us experience in autistic burnout. And what's interesting and what I've discovered for myself and what I'm discovering with a lot of the clients that I've been coaching over the last couple of years, cause they're finally getting to that point of restoration because part of autistic burnout is that we lose skills and abilities to that degree. And a lot of it can be that we lose those skills and abilities. And when they start to return, they never fully return to the level they were before we hit burnout. And that's a lot of what the research is saying. What's been interesting is I've discovered for myself And several of my coaching clients have started to discover this for themselves in the last six months to a year, which has just been really exciting because we didn't know this was possible. I didn't know this was possible. I'm getting ready to, I'm just entering my third year of being burnout free for the first time since I was six years old. I mean, that's pretty flipping huge because I didn't, I've never gone this long. Really. I've never gotten to this point of restoration. It's like this constant scramble and loss of, of functionality and, yes. and like hit this trough of like, holy cow, I can't even put one foot in front of the other because I can't remember without falling over. Right. You know, because your balance is a big part of that. But what's been really fantastic is there have been skills and talents and abilities that I lost decades ago in a burnout that have started, that have come back. Hmm. And that is just, I was like, I never thought that I would re that I would write like creatively ever again, because it was just not happening for like 15, 20 years. 
And within the last year or two, it has slowly, it started to come back. And I didn't even recognize that it had started to return until I was like, wow, I, I've actually ridden. I didn't even recognize I had done it. It just happened. And I was like, holy cow, I haven't done this for years. I haven't had the ability, the capacity or the desire to do this in forever. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I would ever be here again. I thought that was gone. And that simply was through getting restoration, getting to my thriving place and out of burnout long enough for them to start coming back. It's, it's possible. And that's the exciting part. So please don't, you know, it, that was the most heart-wrenching and frightening thing that I learned when I started looking into autistic burnout research for adults. And there's very little, first of all, and there's very little significant data. Okay. There's, there's just a little bit of hit and miss trickles out there, but you know, something is absolutely better than nothing. And and the more conversations we have about it, the likelihood of more valuable research from our perspective and our needs happens. And one of the big statistics and the data points that came out of some of the limited research I looked at was that you could lose skills and abilities permanently. Like they would never come back. And all I could think was, my God, I have worked so hard my whole life to acquire the skills, abilities, and, and level of functioning that I have. And now someone is telling me that I could potentially, the things that I've lost in burnout may not ever come back. I cried. And all I could think was, I've got to figure this out. I'll be damned if I have worked my tail off to get this and to lose it and never get it back because I'm camouflaging myself to death. I'm not listening to my own needs. I'm not... I've never set a boundary. I've never self-cared. I've never done any of these things because no one talked to me about them because somehow it's like the unspoken understanding in the rest of the world (laughs) (laughs) that you acquire and develop these skills and and things that help you function in the world. And it was such a big thing, you know? So I'm really curious, um, as you went from your job with the government and then you went into the private sector, you noted that there is a big, differentiator between accommodations and and what was being made available. What was that? Like, what were some of the big, like stark glaring differences when you entered the private sector? So of course I didn't, I didn't know I was autistic when I was working for the government. So I, I didn't ever ask for specific accommodations. Um, but I'd say one of the biggest things is I was always in a very diverse working environment, not just, you know, race, sex, creed, but, you know, disability wise or, you know, neurodiversity wise, um, there was just a, a vast amount of diversity. Then I got to the private sector. It was a lot more homogeneous, um, a lot more people who, you know, look and act the same and, th- and therefore think the same. The other thing I noticed is even in the job announcements in the private sector, and this is something that I had to go back and think about, even the job announcements, when you see things like 
we're looking for a good fit or, you know, we're looking for someone who's going to be a good fit to our team. That, that is code for, we're looking for a homo, we're a homogeneous work environment. If you do not look, think, act the same as everybody else, we're not really interested in you. Um, and that was a real shock because I never, I never saw job announcements like that in, in, in government. It was very much skills based. you know, you have to have these specific skills. It was more based on what skills can you bring? And even the ADA process, um, even though I didn't go through it was addressed up front because, you know, they would ask, do you have any, any needs, any accommodations? Um, the other thing is the training that we received in government was, you know, every year, and it almost felt like every six months we were having some sort of diversity training or, you know, training on the Americans with the Disabilities Act and the EEOC. And, you know, we would roll our eyes and go, oh, we got to do this again, you know, but um, we didn't in the private sector. I noticed not only was I not given that level of information, my managers weren't either. And even my human resources people, like when I did get to the point where I started asking for accommodation, I was educating the HR people on what, uh, the, what, what the law said, (laughs) um, they, they just didn't seem to have a clue. And the process to go through the accommodation process took months. I mean, we're talking a minimum of three to six months. Um, And if you're thinking about the fact that you can't effectively perform your job to your full potential for that three to six months period, because you're waiting on an accommodation or you haven't had that interactive process, um, that hurts everybody. Um, So I felt like that was one of the biggest differences as well, just the, the level of education on what, you know, as an employer, your responsibilities are, what your um, employees' rights are under those laws and regulations. Um, you know, just just not having a full understanding of that and then having these arduous processes you have to go through and hundreds of dollars of doctor's appointments, you know, just to prove that, no, I really do have a problem. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then a lot of times, (laughs) right. And a lot of times what I'm also hearing from a lot of my clients is that they've gone through that process. They've, they've Mm -hmm. spent the money. I mean, it is rigorous to try and get a a doctor to write an accommodation Mm -hmm. for you. And then you get this, you finally have this accommodation letter of this is what I need to help make my life and my ability to perform the skills and abilities that I have to execute them in a way that's not going to like impact my quality of life. Cause that work-life balance is so important. And that mm-hmm. that's something that we all seek. It doesn't matter your neurotype. And then you show up with this at HR and they have no framework. They have no structure. Mm-hmm. They have no guidelines that they, that they have in place to follow when someone submits a request. And then they look at the doctor's letter and they're like, Oh, we can't accept that mm-hmm. or that's not good enough. It doesn't say this, this, and this, because really they don't know what they're asking for half the time. Yeah. And those delays are only harming everyone, the individual and the company, because at that point, 
no one, nothing is working well. And it's just these small little things. And one of the things that like really chaps my backside is the term reasonable accommodation. It's a reasonable accommodation. And that is so subjective. Who gets to set and define what's reasonable? There is entirely too much room for interpretation there. And my, my opinion is if, if someone is, is really in this day and age, and this is, I'm working so hard to change this. If someone has gotten, they're so miserable that they have just said, screw it. Or they have gotten brave enough that they are standing up for themselves for the first time in their life and said, I really need this. Then it's needed. It's reason. There is no reason necessary. It's needed. Well, and, and, and the other thing I ran into was none of the accommodations I requested cost any money required, you know, restructuring or anything like that. I was asking for things like, I would like to have once a week meetings with my manager to go over the priorities for the week. Um, I would like for you not to come to me with an assignment at five o'clock in the afternoon, knowing that's when I'm I'm burned out and, and saying it has to be done that evening when really it doesn't need to be done until the next day. Or, you know, I need um, to, to have a, a workspace that's, you know, quiet, you know, in a quiet area, you know, where, where the lighting is good, you know, not, you know, next to the bathroom or the break room, <laughs> you know, um, it was all stuff like that, that really could have been accommodated within 24 hours. I mean, it really wasn't anything that I felt would, like you said, be unreasonable. In fact, I kind of feel like people, I've heard the analogy that, you know, people with autism are canaries in the coal mine because back in, in the coal miner days or, you know, back many years ago, they would use canaries to, uh, indicate what the air quality was in the coal mines. And so if the canary was suffering, then obviously, you know, they needed to get the rest of the guys out because the air quality wasn't good. So I'm just feeling the effects of the work environment that everybody is feeling, but because I'm more sensitive to it for whatever reason, you know, I'm the one squawking or sounding like I'm squawking. Um, but really any changes to the work environment, isn't just going to help me. It's going to help everybody in that work environment. You know, everybody could use regular meetings with their managers. Everybody could use, you know, a clear understanding of, of their work and their deadlines. Everybody could use, you know, a quiet, good work environment. Um, you, you know, I wasn't asking for anything unreasonable yet. It took, uh, I think a total of three months for them to even start the interactive process where I hear, heard nothing but radio silence. Like it wasn't even like we were having conversations with HR. It so was what radio happened silence. When, right. And in that radio silence, mm -hmm. there's a lot of extra anxiety and stress that I would imagine for me, I know would happen because you start to think, oh my gosh, is, are they just planning on figuring out how to fire me right now? Yes. Yeah. Right. That's terrifying. That is like almost in my mind, creating a hostile work environment. Yeah. So one of the things, um, 
when I finally did, and I had to step up and, and go to my HR and say, Hey, can we at least start having the conversation, you know, after several weeks, you know, a couple of months and they did. And the, the only thing that they were really offering me, um, as an accommodation was they offered me a demotion. And I said, well, first of all, you know, if, if <laughs> my understanding of the ADA is that you, you can offer me another job, but it has to be an equivalent job, even if it's not, you know, in the same department, you know, that job needs to be made available to me. And she said, well, you're welcome to go out on the company website and apply for other jobs. And I said, no, you're supposed to, your HR, you're supposed to be making those jobs available to me. You don't just offer me a demotion. And I looked at the job description of the demotion and it was basically my same job with, you know, maybe a little bit of tweaking here and there um, in wording, but it was basically the same job I was doing, working for the same department, the same managers. It was just less pay. And I got off of that phone conversation as quickly as possible. And I picked up the phone and called an employment lawyer <laughs> because I knew at that moment, all of this, everything that, that they've done over the past, you know, three months, um, was look for a way to get rid of me, either force me into a, a situation where I'm going to quit or demote me or fire me. Um, and so I felt like I needed to get, uh, you know, somebody who could advocate for me um, to at least stop that from happening and allow me time to figure out what I was going to do next. Because <laughs> I was to the yeah. point where I was even going to my healthcare provider and saying, is there a way I can apply for short-term disability? Because I just, I just need a break. I like, I need a couple of months just to recover um, from this major burnout that I had. You We're going to take just a quick break so that Megan and I can share something really amazing and super exciting with you guys. Megan has put together resources for neurodivergent adults, finally, and I contributed to this. And I'm so excited because there were lots of us who are neurodivergent coaches who came together to share some of our paid resources for free with you for just a small window of time. And that will be from March 21st through March 28th. So if you're tired of looking for resources to help yourself as a neurodivergent adult and pretty much exclusively finding resources designed for, designed for parents of neurodivergent kids, we totally get it. That's why we all teamed up and came together with some of the best and most innovative neurodivergent creators on the internet to provide you with a whole host of completely free resources. Don't miss out. Make sure you get on the wait list. Use the link in the show notes below. The course is called the Big Beautiful Brain Bundle. And I love that Megan came up with that name. She's so creative. That's her ADHD entrepreneurial brain in creative mode. Isn't it great? So there's a course on executive dysfunction, an ADHD bundle for beginners, a workshop all about how to schedule breaks. When's the last time you took a break? A neurodivergent entrepreneurial toolkit, a video course that I created on sharing that you are autistic, and of course, the amazing task 
initiation webinar. Oh, I think those of us who have been in stuck mode love that idea. And Megan's get done masterclass. I don't have one of those cool trick buttons, so I had to make my own noise for the for the essay part. Don't you love me? I'm really I scare myself sometimes, guys. Anyway, back to the show. You know, is is there you know something I can do? there. But, you know, when I, when I got the response from HR and from my employer, it was very clear that that was not going to be the deal. You know, they, they wanted to get rid of me. They didn't know what to do with me. So their answer was to get rid of me. Yeah. And I've, I see that so often and mm-hmm. what is really horrific about that is that it's so easy it really and truly is. It's so simple to just simply set up a framework to have this already within your company. And it's something that should be offered to every employee from the very start. Because when we are meeting the needs of the individual employee, the individual person, We are creating a more effective and dynamic workforce within our company because we are allowing people to function at their best. When we operate from the broken business management and human resources model of creating cookie cutter employees that can be plugged into any part of the company and still function, That methodology and that mindset and that approach has created the work environment we have today, the broken, dysfunctional workforce that we have within companies, the company cultures, the mindset that everyone should be interchangeable, no matter what the job laterally, or if you're going up and down the ladder, that everyone should be somehow homogenous and all be of the same thinking and the same mind. That is where you lack innovation. That is where you lack creativity. If everyone is seeing the same six and no one's seeing the nine, no one is seeing it from the side, no one's seeing it from above, no one's seeing it from every direction possible, we miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. We miss potential places for innovation that change not just the field that we're in, but that change our, our humanity across the board. And what we're doing in the process of this cookie cutter mentality is we're killing people, both figuratively and literally, of all neurotypes. Because if you go out into the workforce world, if you go out on Google and you just search in work-life balance, work burnout, it's not just happening in our neurotypes. It's happening in every neurotype. You got neurotypical people talking about work-life balance and burnout and trying to find a way to balance that right now. I mean, and for all the stuff that COVID has been, that has just been horrific, there have been some silver linings. And that is that the people who have just been suppressing it and knuckling down and gritting through it, you know, the canaries have been squawking for a while. (laughs) It's finally hitting some of the other ones. It's finally hitting the rest of us, apparently, in the world. And that's a good thing. 
it's a good thing. And I hate that you have been through this. I hate that this has been your experience. But because you've had this experience, because you are now seeing this, you're sharing, we're talking about this today. This is where change happens. This is where change starts to to make a shift in the place that we are right now because there's so much that needs to change and there's ways to do it that don't require the 60 plus page autism at work playbook, right? I mean, guys, there's there's fantastic ways to do things. Sometimes we can just like overstructure the crap out of something. (laughs) And sometimes (laughs) it's just about streamlining a process and thinking about things in a different way. So if you, Rebecca, I would really love to have your insight on this. So if you would, with what you've experienced, with what you know now, what you've learned about yourself as an autistic person and what your needs are, your accommodation needs, what would be a suggestion that you would make to a company, to a human resources department? Because you've got a lot of knowledge. You've got a lot of experience. And because, you know, of your time in the government, that really helped with what you knew because you didn't immediately go, oh, well, I guess I'll just take that job. Or you didn't automatically go, well, I guess that's the only thing they're going to give me. I'll just have to, to struggle through it. Apparently, you know, that's just how it is. You didn't do that. And that's, that is, that's different because a lot of us would have, you know, been really upset about it and then felt like we had no other option, but just to take that. Mm -hmm. So what are some suggestions that you would make for human resources managers and companies for an accommodation process? What would you like to see change in this? Yeah, there's several things. First of all, I would start with build a culture of diversity, just in embrace diversity. Stop writing the job announcements that say, we're looking for someone who'd be a good fit to our team because that's code for, we don't want you neurodiverse person. Um, And include all types of diversity, including neurotypes. Um, And then I'd say build a training and education program that focuses on the different neurotypes and the different types of diversity that's out there. Um, But then also make sure not just your HR, not just your managers, but everybody in the company understands what is required under the laws that we have in this country, under the laws of your state, wherever your jurisdiction is, because each state is different. and, and help your employees know that they can come and ask, ask you for an accommodation. And it doesn't even have to be a long, arduous, overly documented process. Um, if an employee comes to their manager and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, you know, can you make an accommodation here? That manager that day has the power to make that accommodation. And actually they have the responsibility to under the law. Um, if they need to document it for HR, that's fine. There's, there's laws and regulations that govern how that should happen. It shouldn't be advertised to the whole company. Um, but you know, don't, I feel like there's so many barriers to even managers being able to provide accommodation. So let's take away those barriers. Let's have a good, uh, diversity, um, communication and, and, and education. And then let's also, you know, create the processes and don't just create them and then set them aside and wait till somebody uses them. 
make sure you're reviewing them on at least an annual basis, because like the form I had to fill out for my process was a non-fillable PDF that had little boxes about this big, you know, to describe my needs. You know, I had to attach a bunch of stuff to it manually, you know, and scan it and send it to my HR person. Like it is 2022. We can come up with a process and a, and a way to communicate better than that. And then as soon as that person does submit all of that information that you think you need, have the conversation with the person, like go ahead and start that interactive process. Because what happens, what at least happened to me, something else I noticed was when they waited three months and came to their own conclusions, there was some conclusions or some um, misunderstandings about what I was even asking for. And if they had just come to me, you know, immediately after I submitted my request and said, can you elaborate on this? You know, we can't provide this, but maybe we could do something different. I was, I was not involved in any of those kind of discussions. So they just made um, their own determinations based on what they thought I was saying or asking for, and it ended up being wrong. So that communicate that level of communication needs to happen. It needs to happen like at the very beginning of the process, not three, six months later. I, I have the, the feeling, and this is just, you know, my, my perception and my diagnostic of it. And it's that there are so many things because human resources departments, when it comes to accommodations in particular, if you're not well-educated, in the legal side of it and what your responsibilities are, you're so afraid of the risk and exposure. You're afraid to have a conversation because you might say something that gets you sued. So they avoid the conversation altogether and make their own determinations, which are usually completely wrong, do not align with what's actually being requested because there's a fear of getting sued. There's a fear of making a misstep. There's a fear of offending the person who's asking for help. Did you kind of get maybe some of that feeling at all? I felt like when, especially when I started poking around and saying, Hey, can we talk about this? Or, you know, um, have you, have you come to any conclusions? Have you talked to my manager? I would get very, very short responses back. And I think that might've been some of that fear of, oh, well, we can't, um, you know, you know, just fear of, you know, stepping over a line that I wasn't even drawing. I was just trying to get information <laughs> about my request. <laughs> um, but I could tell, tell there was like a, almost like a wall put up immediately after I put in my request between me and HR and me and my managers, because, you know, it was suddenly something, well, we can't talk about it because it has to go through this process first, you know, but there's really no um, process, <laughs> but the process wasn't outlined, at least wasn't outlined to me. So I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know. So you had no idea even what their what quote unquote process, process meant. Was. Yeah. Right. Um, You're that like, was what never... should I be expecting? What's the timeline? And that's, right. that's another big one. Not having any communication that gives you a timeline for expectations. Because mm -hmm. the response I kept getting back was, we're still going through the process, but then no explanation of what the process was or where they were in that process, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And it was clear to me that I wasn't going to hear the outcome until the very end. And that is not in accordance with the laws and regulations of this country. No, it's not. <laughs> There's supposed to be an interaction between you and the employee, you know, not just I submitted something and now it's for you to accept or reject. That's not how this is supposed to go. Yeah. We are not subjugated without input. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's take this. Cause I feel like this is sort of the next layer to it. Let's talk about communication styles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would love sure. for you to share because because you you were becoming you were becoming a very skilled communication style recognizer. <laughs> you are. So if you had to apply like what you've learned in the academy and about the different communication styles, um, this is a slow process, and it's something Allie and I both kind of share because we didn't want you guys to feel like at the end of this first month, when we talked about communication styles, you should be able to recognize them all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like you should immediately be able to pick it out because that is just not how, how we experience it or learn it. It's something that's slowly integrated, but I would love to know, like with communication styles, like from where you started to where you are today, because we're, we're (laughs) in week three, we're, you know, just kind of moving through this. What are some of the big insights and what are some of maybe the big hurdles that that you're facing with communication styles and sort of what's, what's your primary communication style and, and how, how did it feel to be able to recognize that you had this primary communication style that was sort of your natural one and that you had sort of a secondary one. And then you also had kind of that one that you slip into sometimes in certain situations. Yeah. Um, so I will say that I am very much a factor communication communicator, <laughs> Um, and you can ask any family member and they will agree. Like Rebecca is about the facts. She, you know, she's not going to throw a lot of emotion into it. She goes into the conversation. These are the things I want to get out of this conversation. And then I'm done. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, I have tried, especially as I've, you know, I've, I've recently started my own business. And so I have clients I need to talk to. And now I've got employees that I need to talk to, you know, I've tried to not be just, you know, just about the facts, ma'am type person. Um, but that's primarily where I start out, you know, and so I try to integrate the listening style, um, you know, within that so that it's, it's not just, you know, me trying to glean information, you know, how can I, um, how can I communicate to this person, you know, that, that, that I care that they're a person and I'm happy that they're (laughs) helping me, you know, through this process. Um, so that's, that's been a, that's been an eye opener, uh, and also a challenge. The other part that's a little bit strange and challenging, um, is my communication with the director style. So I personally, you know, will sometimes go into the director style communication. I am married to a director communicator, um, but I'm also not very receptive to that because I think, especially since, you know, doing a lot of reflection back in my life, you know, there have been times where I felt like I've been manipulated or um, overly controlled. <laughs> so my visceral response sometimes to that re- director is stop bossing me around. Who do you think you are? Um, 
and, and, and I'm starting to realize, okay, that's not the intention. That's just the way this person is communicating. Um, and then maybe I need to, again, move into more the listener style to try to kind of, you know, I guess, figure out what the, what the situation is before then moving into my natural factor style of, well, you've missed this, 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 and this. <laughs> um, so I think those are the ones that, you know, I, I, I tend to, to see frequently. Um, the one I don't have as much experience with is the captivator style. So I'm trying to be a little attuned to that and see if, um, see if I can recognize the captivator style, um, you know, a little bit better, but yeah, <laughs> I've learned a Interesting. lot. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, I, I love having this conversation, the way you break it down. Cause I think that's, that's one of the things that Allie and I talk about. And I think that was one of the questions we asked you guys, um, in sort of the reflection question is which communication style are you just not like this does not show up for you it is so completely against the grain it is not your natural it is not even happening and it was really interesting because we all have one of those I mean there's four communication styles that we use as sort of the big chunks right like and, and there's always variations and there's you know mixing of those styles but what's interesting is we all have one that is just like, no, nah, that is just not me. That does not happen <laughs> in my world. And what's interesting is that when we've identified what that one is for us, like that's not me. It's interesting when we start to recognize when we have a conversation with someone and we're getting, we're feeling our bodies get a little anxious or uncomfortable, or we're not feeling good in the conversation it's usually because the person who's communicating with us is using that style that we just don't jive with. Like it's not, it's not in our jam system. <laughs> and it's so funny because that was like, once I asked, I asked a question to somebody in the group. I was like, cause they said, oh, I'm so not a director. Like that just isn't the one that does not fall in my world. And I said, well, how does it feel like, cause we had you guys identify the people in your lives, your family and friends and start to sort of identify their primary natural communication style. And I said, well, of the people in your life that you've identified that are a director, how do you feel when you have a conversation with them? How's that experience? And it's usually, Ooh, it's just really uncomfortable. It's really hard to have a conversation. Like we seem to have a communication mismatch and everybody <laughs> misunderstands the other person. It just never goes well. It's a, it's a mess. And it's so interesting because now I think what's been kind of cool is people are telling me, Oh, I know I see it differently. Cause like directors are communicating in a direct fashion, just like it says, they're communicating to give you the information that you need or that they think you need to move forward because they want to help you. And when you know that they're not just being bossy flossies, that they're actually <laughs> trying to help you, it just comes across in this very direct manner because they don't want to mix up and, and confuse the conversation, right? Because maybe they're in burnout. Maybe they're at the end of their day. Maybe they have a shot glass that they can take information in or give information out. It's not early, maybe during their peak performance hours when they're, they've got like maybe a, a court jug or something that they could, could give and manipulate conversation styles. So it's really interesting when you start looking at that, 
what was like, once you started identifying, especially because your spouse is a director, <laughs> what did that insight sort of give you in, in how you are, are communicating the two of you? Yeah, I think, I think most of the time we communicate well. Um, we're very opposites, but very compatible in that way. Um, so I do not do well under stress. Like I shut down and talk about communicating. I just can't. Um, he is very good at staying calm and being able to navigate not just himself, but other people through, you know, very difficult situations or processes. So I rely, I find myself relying on him a lot from that standpoint of, you know, okay, he, he's, you know, taking the bull by the horns. <laughs> and if I just follow along, then, you know, it, it'll think things will work out the way it needs to go. I think the conflict happens more when, when he's fine and I'm stressed. So then I, I start to perceive, okay, you're just, you know, you know, I'm, 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 my mind is focused on this one thing and you're trying to distract me with this other thing <laughs> that probably is very important, <laughs> but I, I'm not at that place yet <laughs> where I can, you know, I can switch gears and think about that other problem. Um, so I think sometimes that's, you know, where there might be conflict, you know, and then I, I react in a way that, you know, is, is unkind and very factor oriented. <laughs> and that just causes him to react in his, you know, uh, director mode communication even stronger. So, you know, that's when I think I see conflict, you know, can happen, you know, cause I just, you know, you know, that whole over-focus thing, you just can't, you can't stop your brain from doing what your brain is doing at that moment uh, and move on to the next thing. So that's really, that's that happened. is a huge awareness because <laughs> you know, what's really cool about it is that now that you've recognized this, now that you've sort of talked out and identified and you're now like fully aware of like, oh, that's what happens. And then he like digs in deeper into the director because he's trying to get his point across because he sees that this is a problem and he wants to move me forward into where we need to go. But I am focused on this. So I'm just going to get like, then I'm going to get like even more focused because I feel like you're trying to distract me from what's important without really giving me the emotional and the, the why behind it. Right. It's like it, because it's a director mode, it's like giving you the direction, but not giving you all the stuff that goes with it. So, you know, yeah. factor and director are very similar styles. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is really helpful because you both are coming from a, let's just get the stuff out there without all the feely stuff. But that's a really good thing to know that both of you have to, in certain situations, incorporate some of the feely stuff just for a little bit. <laughs> Right. You got to engage some of that captivator and engage some of that listener because <laughs> now you guys will never, if, when this starts to come up and you start to experience this because of this new awareness, it will not happen the same way. You guys are going right. to both do something different. I'm curious. Has he taken the quiz, the communication stock? No, quiz? no, I haven't oh, given it, it to him. him. I should you give it to, to him. <laughs> yes, I'll try definitely. To, 
I'll try to corner him in the next couple of days and make him take it. <laughs> I, would <laughs> I would be, be really, like, what is this? <laughs> I would be really interested. Cause you know, that's, yeah. that's the sort of, that's the, like the self-assessment identifier of what's your natural primary communication style. What's your secondary, yeah. you know, what's the tertiary. And I would be so curious to see sort of where it lines up. And if it lines up with where you guys had sort of like mentally ticked off, this is the box for yeah, where we pegged each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be, I always be such an interesting conversation. I would love that. Yeah. So as you're thinking about all the things in your life, because you've made some big shifts, mm-hmm. you started your own business. Yes. You have now grown to the place where you are very quickly are high. You've hired some employees. So now taking these communication styles, knowing these things, like you're, you're thinking, okay, I've got to, you know, I can't just be a factor all the time. I also have to be a listener. I have to give, you know, some space and things because of the experiences that you've been through. What are some conscious things that you have, when you started to hire someone and you knew you were onboarding them, what are some things that you've put into place to make sure that they have a better experience than you did? Um, yeah, that's a good question because <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, <laughs> excuse me. I will say that I did not, um, I tried very hard not to say, I want this type of person with this type of experience. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I did hire, I went, I started out wanting to hire one person. And then I realized I really do have enough work to hire two part-time people. And eventually, you know, my, my goal is to grow significantly this year. And so eventually you know, I'll have plenty of work for both of them to do. And I did not want to go, to be honest, I did not want to go through this hiring process again in three to six months, just (laughs) no, thank you. Um, So I went ahead and hired two people, but personality wise, they are very different. Um, And I won't say that that was on purpose, but it was something I kept in the back of my mind of, oh, I have tasks that are very detail oriented and you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, reoccurring stuff that has to be done, but it has to be done right. It has to be done by someone who, you know, really is, is good at figuring out, you know, the, the process and making sure it's done right. And so one person I I hired very much follows in that line. And then I also have stuff that, is just a mess. And I need somebody who can figure it out and, (laughs) and, and, and is, is not going to, you know, is going to have, you know, the, the personality type to, you know, try, try new things and okay, well, if it didn't work, then we'll try something different. And so I have, you know, another person who is very much that I feel like is very much that personality type. Both of them are excellent. Um, both of them are picking up on things. I, I onboarded both of them pretty much at the beginning of this week. So I'm just now starting to figure out, you know, how good they are at their job, <laughs> but, um, both of them are excellent and both of them are figuring things out, but it's been really helpful to have, you know, different, you know, level of diversity already, um, you know, even if it's not cultural diversity, you know, there's probably, you know, just different communication styles and different, um, personalities that, um, 
it'll be interesting to see how how it all works together. But I think it'll be for for a good thing, not not a bad thing. Because the last thing I want is to be homogeneous, to never be challenged, to never, um, you know, see things differently. And the more people around me I can have that can see things differently or see a problem that maybe I didn't anticipate, you know, the better. And so, you know, I, I'm trying to keep that in my mind too, of I don't want to be, you know, everybody has to be this type of fit (laughs) company. I love it because you describe both of these positions in very different ways because of the need that you have for the task. And it's like your first person needed to be very detail-oriented, very process and structure-driven because there was a certain and specific way that this has to happen. Mm -hmm. And then your second one is like, I need someone to take like all the chaos and make sense of it. Right. So like, I call that the fun and the chaos. Like you got to have somebody that's like super curious, willing to like see all the mess and go, Oh, okay. I see the patterns in the process and the structure and the framework that comes from this. But I also know that there's going to be some experimentation and I'm okay with the uncomfortable messiness. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would be really curious to see like once you've, since you're just onboarding sort of how you identify their communication styles. And also like their peak performance hours, because that's something that makes a big difference. You know, like you said, you didn't like people come into you at five o'clock at the, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Like that was like at the end of your day where you have used all your brain power for all the innovative, creative things at the start of the day, right? That's just sort of a wrap it up, get out the door, go home and recharge. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, some people like they start really slow in the morning, the afternoon is like, boom, that's when it works for them. But when you know people's peak performance times, then when you know that, hey, uh, Rebecca is our peak performance morning person. So if I need something done, I need to get it to her to where she's got that to do in the mornings. And, but I'm an afternoon person, let's say, which I'm not, I'm a morning person, but um, let's say I'm an afternoon person and I don't get going until like three o'clock. So when I show up with like all my brain stuff is firing on all cylinders and I'm creative and this is all my stuff coming out. I know that I, when I deliver this to you, cause this is when it's working for me to say, Hey, I know this is the end of your day. So don't even look at this. Just know that it's in your box for you in the morning when you're fresh and it's all good. And you know that I'm not sending it to you to pressure you to do it right then. This is just when it works for my brain. And by the time you work it out in the, in the morning and you send it back to me, it's probably the same time that my brain kicks back in. So, you know, if you expected me to respond first thing in the morning with it, you know, and just knowing those types of things, not just communication styles, but those peak performance hours, like how game-changing is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm very fortunate that the work I do and the work I need them to do doesn't need to be done at a specific time of day, but I need it quickly. Like I need it, <laughs> I need it, you know, within that 24, 48 hour time frame. So if you want to do it at two in the morning, do it at two in the morning. Um, and that's fine with me. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to kind of see that I might even, um, I just thought about that Cloverleaf um, yes. website that you gave, that you have suggested. I might look into that and see if it's worth, you know, getting a subscription and uh, signing them up for a couple of the assessments because um, it'd be interesting to find out, you know, personality types and communication types and all of that. 
they have a really great feature now. They've just updated everything. So I'm just learning because I had to, I had to call and talk. Yeah. Not, this is how much I like Cloverleaf. I made a phone call and talked to a person. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, how much boy. I wanted this information. But um, <laughs> they, they've just hit like a million people that they have helped with Cloverleaf with their platform. And I love it because it really does speak our language and the way that it sets things up. But um, they have a feature called Teams. Now they've got, they've got some new stuff and I've just learned about all of it. And, and I've got a team I've put together that we're, we're testing this out um, here in the next week or two. So I'll be really interested and we'll definitely have to like sort of share notes and navigate this because it has been really a wonderful tool and a resource, not just for business, but for my personal life. Like I send it to all my <laughs> friends. I send it to, I send it to my family my, my partner and I have done it. I mean, it's, it's really amazing because if they've got the disc and the Enneagram, which is my favorite, and there's a lot of reasons why, specifically if you are a varying neurotypes, like if you're in a neurodiverse relationship where you've got a neurotypical and a neurodivergent brain, then it's really beneficial because it, there's so many layers within the Enneagram that really make a difference Mm -hmm. and the wings influence um, your primary number, which but I just I love it I love that that you're looking at it and thinking about using it so Rebecca as we're wrapping up I would love to know and for you to share if you have one thing or a couple of things that's fine but something that you really feel like the the new person that just learned that they're autistic you know they're an adult and they're just like wow this is me I'm so excited I finally have some answers what's the one thing you would really like them to know as they're starting their journey today? Um, I think the first thing I would tell that person is to learn, not just to accept yourself, but to love how you are uniquely knitted together. Um, I do not wake up in the morning feeling disabled. I really don't like that disability. Like I don't, I don't like the D and ASD. <laughs> um, I feel like at my, the end of my day, you know, I'm possibly disabled because of all of the, uh, interactions and chaos and things that happened throughout the day. Um, but what I've learned is the, the more I learn about myself, the more I learn to realize that I am uniquely put together. And that is just a different wiring that is not, I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not disabled. (laughs) I'm not lazy. I'm not hormonal. I'm not, um, you know, flaky, you know, but I am autistic. And that means that I have a different way of thinking and that's okay. Like, that's not a bad thing. Um, The second thing I would tell that person is to learn to self-advocate because I found, you know, like I said, I found that employers, HR professionals, healthcare professionals, I've had similar issues in the insurance industry lately that I think I shared with you. Um, They do not know when approached with an accommodation request, what to do. And so you are going to have to be the expert, unfortunately, until things change in our society. Um, you can go out to, I went out to the job accommodation network, um, which is really 
a really excellent tool. It has actual suggested accommodations for, for different needs. Um, so whether it's a communication need or, you know, a, a like you said, a, a, a time, um, you know, you need a time change to your job, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they have um, just a list of accommodations that people have asked for and have been accepted under uh, the EEOC guidance. So, I mean, become your own expert. You're going to have to educate your family. You're going to have to educate your employers. You're going to have to educate your healthcare providers, especially your mental healthcare providers. Um, the therapies don't work the same way on us like they do in, on the neurotypical person. Um, so just, just do your, do your research and become your own self-advocate because you're going to need that. Excellent advice. Excellent insights, Rebecca, truly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for sharing your insights and your experiences. And we are amazing. You, you are amazing. And I love what you're doing in the world. I love who you're being in the world. And I so appreciate that you were here sharing all of the wonderful things that are happening in your life, you know, starting a new business, hiring new employees. These are mm -hmm. fantastic things. This is, this is what makes a difference in the world. This doing it our way, our unique way and showing that it's possible that we are incredible entrepreneurs. We just do it differently. And thank you for showing up and doing that. Yes. And thank you for having me on. Um, I really appreciate the, the time and the conversation and um, can't wait to hear more. Awesome. Well, guys, if you're interested and you want to learn more about communication styles, the Coaching Cafe Academy is open. We are here. We are accepting members. We would love for you guys to come join us. We have fun conversations. We've already had several Zoom calls together. We're getting to know each other. We're not just there to talk about communication styles. We show up and we encourage and support one another, even like, hey, I just had a crappy week. This is what happened. You know, I just need somebody to talk to and share. We're doing that because it's not just about our communication ecosystem. It's also about community. So if you're looking for community, you know, and you're a woman who's looking for a place to, to find some friends and find people that get it and, you know, hey, I just hit perimenopause. So come on over. We're talking about that too. <laughs> we'll see you soon, guys. Bye-bye. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me A Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.